Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 158, Best of the Decade. On today's episode, we will look back at the last 10 years, seven of which we have been recording and sending this little oh podcast God. out into the world. Yeah. We've been doing this for seven years? Yeah, yeah, yeah we've been friends for that decade. That This is an important episode. Oh my God, we should have prepared more. I didn't realize how important this episode was. Come on! All right, can I finish my intro now? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. All right. So we're going to look back at this decade and pick our favorite books. So uh, I'm not sure how we're going to do this, but we're going to do some version of selecting our... We're each going to select a favorite from the decade that we covered on the disco, a favorite that we read on our own that was not part of the show, and then maybe a favorite that we just read during this past decade, but that was from a different era completely. Um, And then Todd, I'm sure we'll throw out favorite t-shirt, favorite song, favorite favorite t-shirt, favorite I do have a favorite t-shirt. Yeah. Oh, you uh, have a favorite shoe. I know you have a favorite always, shoe. Always, always the boots. <laughs> All right. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old, old, old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me as always are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hi. Yay. Time to play that old Lang Syne for the decade. Yeah, I really, until you said, Todd, like we should do it at best of the decade, it it didn't even occur to me that like we're ending a decade right now. Yeah. It's so weird that it, oh, a year. I've had a year to prepare. (laughs) Until you sent that email last week, it had never occurred to me that like, oh, right, we're going to be in a whole new decade. I didn't I didn't think about it until the best of the decade stuff started showing up, which was like last month. And I was like, why are they doing all these? Oh, right. Because it's been 10 years. But it's always been 10 years of something. Yeah. Yeah. And I oh, think- that was deep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. You're so deep. Write it in your zine. Uh, <laughs> I, I might start my own zine. Me, what's really mind blowing about this is so we graduated Bennington. 2009 so this is our decade of friendship and for me like my decade of reading like completely outside of school uninterrupted right so it's a good one this is a good decade this isn't just a random date but we were and when you think about it like 10 years ago we were all three of us were completely different people at different stages in our lives neither of you had children yeah um I didn't have gray hairs in my eyebrows yet, which has been a it's been a problem yeah. to think about. Um like our careers were in completely different places. Like it's been a pretty epic 10-year period. And then to think that we've been doing this show for the like the vast majority of this decade yeah. is crazy. Like that's nuts. There's is there any other book podcast that has lasted as long as we have? I think some other ones that got in early lasted as long, but they're out of the game now. This is what. So this I is think, why. Is it, isn't Book Fight about as old as we are? I, I think those uh, Book are, Fight probably is. Yeah, I think yeah. I think they're as old as we are. Yeah, because they came um, out right around the same time. I remember we tweeted at each other like. Early yeah, on, yeah, those are good dudes. I think they're still around. Yeah, know. they are. They are. Um, yeah. yeah, book fight might be the one that I'm sh- has lasted as long. I, and so, like, when we get all these nice things that are in the press, like when the Washington Post or the Guardian or one of those places says that we're one of the, you know, best book podcasts ever, 
it's primarily because we've just been around so long. Thanks, thanks a lot. <laughs> We're also one of the few. You know, it's it's interesting. Like, you know, there's way more podcasts dedicated to TV crime. shows and movies oh and you know, true crime. It's like obvious that people like listening to people talk about books is is a pretty select audience um you know which is you know it's 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 our audience um and we love you guys but um it's not like you know we're not because i i remember early on we were first talking about creating this spike that one of the big inspirations for us was film spotting um, right which i think is still around i'm yes, assuming it's it still is. Around, but i think it's changed hosts and changed a bunch but it was you know people get talking to them about movies and i think that that is always so much more accessible i mean how often have our listeners actually read what read along with what we're right. it's pretty hard you know it just requires so much time um so i feel like people bounce around our 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 podcast and and pick up on the books that they've They've already well, either read in the past and want to hear us talking about again, or, you know, they just listen to us talk about a book they're not, not going to read. <laughs> right. Um, you know, the other the other strange thing is that, like, when we were starting out 10 years ago, uh, or about 10 years ago, um, the landscape for book coverage online was completely different. So, as as listeners know, now we are distributed by, uh, by LitHub, um, our, and there was just a shooting inside Writer's House. What was that? Probably indie dropping a shoe or something. Oh. Um, when uh, when we started out, there was like it was just a bunch of independent blogs and stuff that were really driving book culture. And now there's these places like LitHub or Crime Reads uh, or the Millions, which has been around for a long time. Um, but these larger, more professional, I guess, central sort of book places yeah. that were more independent, I think, back then. But now blogging has, you know, has in large part disappeared and gone to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you know, uh, Instagram or whatever. Um, and of course, podcasts have filled that void where I think people's independent blogs used to be. Um, and so it's a completely different world that, um, that we're part of. And I'm, I'm interested to see sort of where our books land that we pick, like in terms of where the culture was at the time when that book came out whether it's as important. Like, I went and looked at all the books we've done over the course of the last it's seven years. It's very strange. It's very strange. And there's, I mean, it's it's like 300 books because we also have, you know, best ofs or three books at a time or whatever it is over the course of the 150 episodes. It's just a lot of stuff. It's a lot I of was stuff. shocked yeah. to see how many books I truly couldn't tell you one thing about now. <laughs> what, that we had read on this show? Yeah. Yes. Like Justine, I was like nothing. There's like nothing really? in my mind. Yeah, I, I, it was submergence. I have no idea what submergence <laughs> is about. Submergence is a tough one because it's a weird. Yeah, I couldn't tell you actually, anything about. I can't tell you a plot point from that book. <laughs> That's hysterical. Uh, the other one that I, that the only one that I was like, what? It was the free. Willie Vaughn. Oh yeah, Willie yeah. Vaughn's book. Yeah, was that like, was a good oh, one. I completely forgot about this book. This was that was pretty good, wasn't yeah. it? I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, no recollection fact, of that book. When we read really Willie's book, um, he was just sort of starting out writing books, and at at the time he was still the lead singer of the band Richmond Fontaine. We read The Free, and that was I think his second or third book. Fast forward to this year, and his book Don't Skip Out on Me was a finalist for the National Book Award. Wow. Um he and I were uh, received awards at the same event. Uh, I received the Silver Pen Award, and he was inducted into the Nevada Writers Hall of Fame the day after Trump won the presidency. 
And so we spent that night together in Reno, Nevada, and wanted to drink ourselves into oblivion and did. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you actually, I, I wanted to mention, we were talking about like, de- you know, not recognizing that a decade had gone by. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is because of the, 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 the supremacy of like presidential politics yeah. in my life right now. Right. Cause like, I really divide it more into 2008 to 2016 and right. then 2016. It's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking in terms of the, the year, you know, the Obama years, the Trump years. And like, yeah. I, I realized like, oh, that's why it feels so weird to say decade because I think before, when I was younger, I did think in terms of decades, but this this has been because of like how much the presidential politics have dominated like my brain for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it, that it's divided into a different set of, you know, eight year cycles basically right. as opposed to decades. That's the mm-hmm. way I think now. Wow, that's crazy. And not, so 10 years ago, neither of you were married? No. Oh my God. No. Yeah, that's crazy. I, you know, oh man, I... 10 years ago in 2009, I had been in Hartford for like a year. I was probably still a waitress, you know, like yes, you were, I was floating around. It was fucking no, awesome. Right. You, you, yeah. No, you I had just started at the Mark Twain house because I actually remember the, when you guys called me and asked me to do this with you and I was walking home from there to here. Um, and it's so one thing that I've thought about a lot that we've never really discussed is how like. I mean, we were friends. We were friends, but you're some of the friends I talk to the most consistently because of this mm-hmm. thing. So it's like yeah. that mm-hmm. habit of sharing a passion and talking about it every mm-hmm. couple weeks or arguing on email every four days about when we're going to talk about <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> like, that's what a friendship is made of. Like, it's very strange to say, like, I've talked to Todd Goldberg every week. For a decade. <laughs> kill me. <laughs> Did you say kill me? How dare you? How dare yeah, you? What there were, were you people guys who... doing in 2009? What, what was the state of, yeah, state so two, of the union? 2009, I mean, I was writing fiction, which I haven't done since. <laughs> because we graduated. We graduated. 2009, I got paid for my first screenplay. So, or hired to write a screenplay and a graphic novel. My brother and I got our first, like, you know, paid writing gig. And it was very small, but, you know, it was a big deal to us. And that just took me out of fiction completely. I I published one short story from, you know, whatever, the 30 short stories I had written on our time at Bennington. So I just got one of those published and then stopped submitting, stopped writing fiction and have not gone back until, like, literally this month I started writing fiction again. Um... And uh, so, yeah, it's been just screenwriting and like totally going into filmmaking. I had already made one short film, but in 2009, I made my second short film, Dungeon Master, which really launched my brother and I, you know, Mm -hmm. got us representation, got, you know, changed our, our, the trajectory of our careers and just, you know, pushed my writing into screenwriting and directing and, and, and then I still was acting, which is crazy to think about. Um, Cause then in 2010, I went and did the graduate in, oh right in australia in australia so yeah 2010 i was still like you know and I, I at that point i was like had a very different approach to acting it was like changing how i thought about acting but i was still was like auditioning i was still doing movies here and there or whatever you know a play and going and doing the graduate was like one of the big like oh like i would completely because it was the second time i had done the play and it was such an amazing experience, a very different experience. Um, and I was like, now I know what being an actor really requires. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> don't think this is for me. Um, 
<laughs> you know, and, and and that was like one. So yeah, that that process really was like started in 2009 because like while we were at Bennington, I was still doing movies and stuff. I was still acting. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, gosh, so 2009, I was right in the middle of becoming a uh, commercial crime writer. So yep. my I had made the decision basically in 2007 or eight to sort of ditch my literary aspirations and become a crime writer full time. And so I started doing Burn Notice. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys might remember I had to write a Burn Notice book while we were at residency when we were in the MFA program. I'm, is that one the year. one that I gave the title for? No, that was that one was the, the second to last one. That one That's came out in 2010. I didn't know you gave a title. What was yes, I was she titled the Reformed. I was visiting, yeah. and I was we were sitting in some restaurant, and I just shot out a couple ideas. And where's there my money? <laughs> yeah, 2009. I also wrote a short story uh, called Mitzvah about a guy who was hiding out as a rabbi but was really a hitman on his last day on the job. And then I have spent the last 10 years of my life writing that same story. Um, That's right. It's basically like that short story actually changed the trajectory of my career because I sold that short story to, um, to FX. And at the time, FX was going to develop it into a TV show um, the people that were making the TV show Justified, which at the time, uh, writer's girlfriend Alex was on, um, <laughs> were going to turn that into a TV show. Um, and then CBS bought it from them, and they were going to turn it into a TV show. And then Les Moonves decided it was too Jewish. That is not. <laughs> you're just going to throw that out. It's a long story. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what it was. It was like a little too Jewish for for, for nine o'clock on CBS. Um, I don't know if it was Les Moonves who made that decision. Uh, but anyway, so 2009 was like the year that I really decided, okay, I'm going to go full bore. I'm going to write crime fiction. That's that's who I am. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what I've done for the last 10 years is I've turned myself into a commercial crime writer and it's worked out great. Yeah. Um, but I was 38 in 2009. Oh, God, I'd like to be 38 again. Mm. I, I feel like I love hearing you guys talk about your writing and creative life. So let me pepper in like what's happened with me in that time. I mean, it's so unlike these two, my degree was in creative nonfiction and I was like submitting around and stuff. But then I got more into the world of, you know, op-eds and like short newspaper magazine mm. pieces. And that was really fun. And then I got you know, a few years, like kind of midway between then and now into this like radio world and writing for radio and writing for WNPR up here and um, pieces like that. And then obviously my improv theater has taken over my life. And that's been amazing because creatively, because it's writing on stage on the spot in front of people. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty shocked and often like, I'll be honest, and this is for the listeners, like it is it's so painful to me to think about like my Bennington time in a way because I loved it. And like, there's no use being humble. Like I was really good at creative nonfiction mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, what, what am I doing? Where am I? I'm like floating in space. But when I think about the whole body of 
work, it's been cool to think about what nonfiction means in the world. And, mm-hmm. and nonfiction has changed, changed so much. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, blogging, as you said, went away. Um, and things like podcasts, not just this podcast, but the podcast I did for WNPR, the Radius Project, like that feels closer to what I was trying to do at Bennington mm-hmm. than if I were trying to like, you know, get published on some piece of shit blog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So it's And you know, the, the funny thing, the funny thing too is like, um, you know, when I tell my students when they're talking about, oh, I want to do this or that, I want to get this essay published or whatever. And sometimes I'm like, instead of trying to get this essay into the New Yorker, why don't you do a five-part podcast yeah. and put it out there and you're going to reach 85,000 listeners, you know? Yeah. And the thing um, is, too, about creative nonfiction and essays, that's so, you know, it's hard because you're writing about yourself. So, like, at this point, I wouldn't go back to the pieces that I wrote, like, eight years ago and be like, let me brush them up. I, I, literally, I'd be like, who is this person? This is right. now embarrassing or it feels disconnected or strange. And you kind of have to let go of the whole thing because you're writing about yourself in a different time, a different place um, that doesn't exist anymore, a different world that doesn't exist right. anymore. Yeah. Plus, I, it's I'm re- kind of over myself, so that's good. I, we gotta, I enjoy I, that. You know what, Ryder? I think you got to change the intro to the show. It's no longer uh, essayist and radio personality Julia Pastel. I, know, I don't know it what might it is. be. Improv impresario. Uh, impresario. I'll come up with a new title. I'll come up with a new title. Yeah. But it's so true. Like, I mean, wh- I mean, another thing I'll throw out there is like, I still feel like that same mind. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still mm-hmm. seeing the world in that creative nonfiction way. And I think I've been excited to engage with current events and conversations with that, like, part of my brain on. But like, it is weird to think, you know, creative nonfiction, the term creative nonfiction and the term fake news are like too close. I'm like, this is too much of a live wire. It's too hard. Yeah. It's it always fun to be like, what's the truth? And now that is not right. fun. Nobody wants No, it. no, it's the opposite of fun. <laughs> you know what? Um, I, I definitely like changed a lot personally and, and my approach to work. Uh, since Bennington because I remember being at Bennington and like my whole thing because Bennington was a very like touchy-feely like get in touch with the artist within figure out what you want to say um, you know really dig deep and read and think deep thoughts and you know and I at the time was like no tell me how to get published tell me how to get you know i was like so career like no no no, no. i i've already thought about all the the stuff like the arts and the i want to talk craft i want to talk about like the structure and like what people are looking for and you know and like now i'm completely in the bennington mindset yeah like i'm much more of the like Okay, I've spent uh, a lot of time writing screenplays, a lot of time trying to like worry about what the marketplace wants, and now I want to dig fucking deep, and I want to think, and I want to write see, like mature this... works that are like a lasting testament to what I want to say, and I don't care if anybody even reads it. I just have to do it. And like, that you see, is very that's satisfying. that's the difference between being taught and already knowing. <laughs> like mm. the what the way I teach 
in the program that I created after our time together at yeah. uh, Bennington teaches people the business and the craft because you need that. Yes. Because yes. if you go into the world just with your idealism, you're going to get crushed. Totally. Yeah. And <laughs> that's like one of the great joys of the last decade of my life. Is that I started, I forgot, I started an MFA program. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> I started an MFA program out of this aesthetic that I had that was the opposite of what we had gone to graduate school for. Because mm-hmm. I thought what we had gone to graduate school for was fucking bullshit. Yep. <laughs> because people came out unprepared. And so I did the opposite. And... um and one of my great joys is I don't, like, you guys have, have children. I don't have children. Wendy and I didn't decide to have kids. But I've got 400 students who have graduated an MFA program that I created in those 10 years. And 80% of them have published their work. That's ridiculous. That's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And it's, you know, I, I sometimes I, I forget, like, oh, right. Like, that's the thing that I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the it's thing huge, that, that I did. It's amazing. Um, but I'm, I feel the same way you feel as an artist, but I feel a different way as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, I mean, and that must be the same for you, Julia, when you're teaching folks improv right now, right? Like yeah. you are telling them you're, you're doing one thing, but when you're running your studio, it's not just on heart. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that it's so hard to talk about improv without it sounding like a cult but <laughs> I think I truly believe this. I think that teaching improv is probably the most important thing I've ever done in my life. Um, mm-hmm. Because what it is, is teaching people how to listen to each other and respect each other's ideas. That's what improv is. Like you right. have to do that. And doing that in all different settings with all different kinds of people. And then over time, you know, learning how to really get people to do that has been like, it's been transformative. I've seen people turn from like, I'm the funny guy in my office and that's why I'm here. And it's like, oh God, everyone hates you. (laughs) To (laughs) to them having like this understanding of how to like treat their, you know, romantic partner with like respect. And I truly like, it's amazing. Teaching is amazing. And it's the most cool Um, fun experience you can have and I will say like being a like a high school or middle school teacher like I've all people are always like oh you should be a teacher and I'm like I I'm not I'm too tired like that it's so hard I have nothing but respect for (laughs) real school teachers because what a fucking job to like turn people into better people so the fact that I get to do that on like this tiny level um this Mm -hmm. emotional level is has I agree with you Todd like it is so I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of it. And I have to go off to my MFA residency in just a couple of days. And I just, I just read everyone's theses so that I, to approve them. So I just read 2000 pages of, of stuff. And I have so much hope for the world because I read these people's books or their screenplays or their plays or their poetry or whatever. And it's so fucking good. You know, like there's there is really good writing that's coming that none of you have seen yet, which that's is awesome. um, 
particularly cool. But we should talk about the things we actually read. We should. Yeah. Wow. This is nice, that. though. This is great. We should we should remember all of ourselves for who we were 10 years ago. You guys saw the photos on Twitter. We talked about that last episode Yeah. of who we were and who we are now. Yeah. Go look at my photo. That's definitely exactly what I look like. <laughs> Ryder does look a lot like Skeet Ulrich, though. No, I, no, I don't. Yes, never, you do. never been a thing in my life. In that movie you did, in no. Too Late, you look like Skeet Ulrich in Too Late. Oh, maybe. Maybe I can see that. <laughs> that, by the way, underrated uh, neo-noir classic, folks. Go get, go watch Too Late. It's a good one. Yeah, thanks, man. It, I think it's actually on Netflix. Yeah, it's on. I just be. It just showed up on my Netflix the other day, and I was like, oh, I remember seeing that. Ryder was in it. <laughs> All right. So we've got a couple categories, right? We've got favorite books that we've done on the show. Yep. Favorite books we read on our own. And so one of the things we should talk, I, I, I kind of want to feel out from you guys um, is like, if we can identify trends, you know, yeah. like what, what, what is going to be this decade? Um, oh God. Like That's are the, you know, I mean, and I'm hopefully that'll come out of some of the things that we've picked, but mm -hmm. even if not, like can, I mean, we should just, I think, cause I find that fascinating. Like I do mm -hmm. like looking back at these book, uh, books and I, I definitely like Googled best books of the decade to see what other people had compiled or just be reminded of what came out in the last mm -hmm. 10 years. Yeah. And, um, I started to see some trends, you know, and, and, and recognize some things. And like, I definitely, since our time at Bennington, I feel like, like we said, one of you said earlier, nonfiction has changed so much. Yes. Um, and so we should, mm -hmm. I don't know if we can articulate why that is or what, what, what that is um, as we go along. I, I, I would love it. We're pretty um, unqualified, so let's do it. <laughs> all right. All right. So Julia, what's your first pick? Like, did you pick a couple books? Yeah. That you, so, that were your favorite? Okay. I mean, what's I have a big one? list here, but being myself, I divided it by um, genre. Um, okay. So I think the best nonfiction book that we read was Killers of the Flower Moon, um, which was recent. Mm, yeah, that was I last agree. year. Um, that, when I think back on that book, it just, it was like, it had everything. I mean, mm -hmm. go listen to the episode to hear us talk about it for, I'm sure, 90 minutes. But it was a perfect, it was a perfect nonfiction book. I mean, I have so many books on my shelves that are like, the blurb is about some historic era or event and I buy it and then I start reading it and it's a little boring. So I'm like, I'll just put it <laughs> down. And then I never return to it. But this was like, yep. this was a history book that was perfect. Thrilling. Perfect. Yeah. And Martin Scorsese is turning it into a movie. I didn't know that. Cannot wait. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. What about you guys? I, oh, wait. Yeah, Should I do all of mine? Yeah. Okay, sure. then I I will say that that the only other book, nonfiction book that I think compares to Killers of Flower Moon that we read is Five Days at Memorial. Yes. That was really I, good. I loved that. That was the other nonfiction I was considering. Yeah. But Killers of Flower Moon might be one of the best nonfiction books of the century. Like yeah. it was just a remarkable piece yeah, of Yeah, you know what's I mean, I probably said this when we did the episode. Like I will recommend that book to anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you don't like that book, you you hate literature. <laughs> you hate me. <laughs> because it appeals to everybody. You know, it's yeah. like it has crime, it has the real it has the it has truth. Romance, like, it's history got has you know, but then and like, yeah, and then yeah, it's perfect it, it, yeah. yeah i would say it's even better than devil in the white city which is its closest parallel but i think it's better i think it's way um, better way better it's yeah. well it's it's has a larger social mm -hmm. um purpose to it like 
what you see there could happen right now, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and probably will at some point soon. <laughs> yep. So f- I had a bunch of fiction choices, so I'll be curious to hear what you guys picked. But the two that I ended up highlighting that I just, again, think about a lot and have given away my copies and keep rebuying are We, <laughs> we the Animals. And Lincoln and the Bardo. Those two, I just, I don't know, like the prose, the like feel of it. They were both so fantastic that I, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Love them. Love them. I love both of them too. Um, They weren't my picks, but they could have been. Either of those could have been. Those are my number two and number three. Yes! I think Lincoln and the Bardo for me... um, is slightly less accessible. And so when I think of books to give someone, like particularly a student, for instance, I don't often think, oh, I'm going to give them Lincoln and the Bardo because it's almost like it's too much. Mm, But here's why it's fantastic is that, I've said fantastic like five times today. I guess that's my word of 2020. Uh, It's (laughs) the way in is history, which is, again, cool. So fictionalized history, that's another like, are you serious, novelist? Mm-hmm. Are you really going to do this? Um, you better be good. And George Saunders is so good that, you know, you can give this to someone who, like, loves Lincoln or likes Lincoln or likes that era. And they're going to mm-hmm. tolerate the, you know, insanity of the structure because of that right. connection. I was surprised um, when when we read it and I was, like, over the moon. Uh, I, I was surprised that there were multiple people in my life that didn't like it at all. Um, well, it's like hard. Smart, yeah, smart, interesting readers, you know, but they just um, just were like, no, nah, no, it's trying to do too much or just too weird right. or I don't know. Like, it just, I mean, even my wife, she was kind of like, no, nah, no, it's good. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking? I mean, even just since we've been talking about it, I'm like, I want to go read it again. Like, yeah. I love it so much. It's so, yeah, I'm with you, Julia. Like, I think it's perfect. And I think, you know, We the Animals and, and Lincoln and the Bardo both stood out for me along with Wolf and White Van. That was on oh, my list, yes. too. And, and Billy, God, Lynn's, love Wolf Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk That's on as my the list books too. that. Yeah, because those were the ones that we've read that I think the prose, it's that writing itself yeah. is just so mm-hmm. damn good. Um, and, 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 and inventive. And I think that they probably moved the needle, you know, uh, like mm-hmm. changed the way that r- people are going to write moving forward. Um, and in a way that I think is important to recognize is like something you do in a decade and like that, that I don't know. So all, yeah. all four of those were like high on my list. They weren't my number one choice. Um, my number one choice was more, uh, more basic prose, I guess. Um, but it, my number one choice was train dreams. Um, oh, which I've read. I've read now three times, I think. Wow. Oh my gosh! And I like just great I want to read it again. And I, part of that is because it's short, and I can keep mm-hmm. reading it without feeling like. But that's the one that I just like. I just want to go back to um, uh, over. But I do want to reread We the Animals because that I I, I yeah. can't really remember the plot. I just remember the feeling of the book being mm-hmm. so unique, and the, mm-hmm. you know. And then yeah, I think Lincoln and the Bard it was a masterpiece. So. Um. Yeah, Train Dreams is a remarkable piece of fiction. I, I when we were going when I was going through the list of stuff, I had forgotten that we had read it. Yeah, like it, when we read it a, it long, a long time, time ago. ago. Yeah, yeah um, and, and it came out in 2011, so it was just yeah. the beginning of the decade. Um, it really got under my skin. I mean, I, I think it's just a combination of the subject matter and mm-hmm. 
the approach. It's just like my sweet spot, you know, sort of mm-hmm. Pacific Northwesty wilderness y uh, right. sort of pseudo mythological and then this like historical, you know, uh narrative of American progress and technological mm-hmm. advancement and how that affects our our personal relationships and how we think it's just like all the things I like to think about and, um, you know, want to consider and, and live in. It's just like that, that book is perfect. Um, okay. For Dennis, me, Dennis Johnson, we should say the author's name. Oh names. yeah. The author's name is important. <laughs> Dennis Johnson. For me. So my three favorites across all the genres that we read, and I, I like these three equally, um, would be, uh, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk by Ben Fountain. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabriel by Edward Hirsch, which is a book I I can't think of without getting sobby. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember that passage about the weighing the different parts of his son's body Mm -hmm. in the autopsy and how he turned that into poetry. Mm -hmm. I think about that more than I probably should. Um, It just breaks my heart. And then, actually, the book I have recommended the most and the book that I have returned to the most is A Manual for Cleaning Women by Lucia Berlin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just an amazing collection of short stories. It's really not even a collection. It's um, a compendium of her her work. And to think that she had existed for all those years writing these remarkable pieces of short fiction that had influenced writers that I love, like Dennis Johnson, for instance, and that I had never known her, has sent me on such a great journey because now I've read a bunch of her stuff and um, and I go back to her short stories over and over again. This, um, as you guys know, this summer and uh, spring, I was writing short stories for a new short story collection and I hadn't written a short story in like eight years or something. And to remind myself how to write short stories, I went back and read a bunch of great short stories and I read a bunch of hers because she writes the, like, you know, essentially dirty realism that's actually real because she had lived that shit. Like yeah. Richard Ford wasn't committing petty crimes in, in Rock Springs, but Lucia Berlin was, you know, a drunk in Oakland in 1976. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, A Manual for Cleaning Women ends up being the, 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 the book that has stood out the most for me over everything that we have read. All the books you guys mentioned I loved. Um so, but those three, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, Gabriel by Edward Hirsch, which really made me appreciate poetry in a different way, um, and A Manual for Cleaning Women by Lucia Berlin, I think for the last 10 years, those those three books I've pulled off the shelf more more often than anything else. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I'd like to go back and experience reading them for the first time again. Man, reading Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk for the first time, that blew my fucking mind. Yeah. So I'm already seeing book. some trends, but should we go? Should we keep going before we get into? Yeah, writing? let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so, Ryder, what did you read uh, off the show that you loved the most over the last ten years? Um, this was actually tough because it was hard to remember. Right? <laughs> no, I was like going through my bookshelf and trying to figure out what had come out. And you know, the truth is, like most of my reading life has been for the show. Like mm-hmm. you know, so that's the majority of. Um, but the, the book from the decade that I think is like topping a lot of lists and I, 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 I do love, um, but it's actually not my favorite of hers is A Visit from the Goon Squad. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. 
because that came out like right at the beginning of the decade. And I remember reading that and it just blew my mind and it introduced me to Jennifer Egan. But I actually prefer The Keep, her, which is from the previous decade, as, mm-hmm. as my number one of hers. But I feel like I should mention it because I feel I do think that if we're talking about trends, a visit from the Coon Squad is like what probably one of the like defining like the trendsetters of the decade in terms of like um, uh, shifting characters every chapter and sort of doing this like, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, doing that, like doing a collected short story as a novel, basically, and changing and then also like being experimental in terms of like, oh, now there's going to be a section that's you know, a PowerPoint presentation or that. Uh, so anyway, I really want to reread that, but I, I, I felt like that was a little bit of a cheat because like I said, I, I like her other books better. I just didn't like Manhattan beach enough to say that's the right. one. Um, but so the other book I wanted to mention, which is, is, is strangely kind of similar. And I didn't realize it until I like wrote them down next to each other. Um, uh, the flamethrowers by Rachel. Oh yeah. Uh, Kushner. Rachel Kushner. Yeah. I read that last, last year when it popped up on some list and I was like, why haven't I heard of this book? And of course I should have. And um, I, I I think similar to to Goon Squad, it's about it's 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 about being an artist in the world, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's also a female voice, a female writer, um, which I think for me, like that was a big part of this decade, was like you know the inclusion and recognizing like oh shit. Everything I've read is bearded white guys. Like, like almost everything <laughs> I've read up until you know this has been bearded white guys. Like that's just what everybody who read books read, and that's what you talked mm-hmm. about, and that's whose perspective you sort of took for granted. And what I really love about flamethrowers is that it's about um, neither of you have read it, huh? I read it. Oh, you read it. Okay. Yeah. So you know, it's it's essentially a woman who uh, is like a, a race car, a motorcycle racer. She's a, wants to be a. a um, uh, uh, race motorcycles in the desert uh, moves to New York and finds herself caught up in this, this group of like New York artists in the seventies and it ends up taking her to Europe. And it's all about like her romantic couplings and her friendships with these people. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a different perspective than I've ever had in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I really could appreciate it and see this era and see art um, through this character's eyes and through, you know, specifically a female's eyes. Like that was really groundbreaking for me in Iowa. And it's so well-written. Um, so yeah, I think both Goon Squad and Flamethrowers are kind of similarly dealing with like groups of artists and friends and how they're connected and how they're disconnected and um, how they manage um, those friendships over time. And, um, and both written by really, really great women writers. So those are the two I would say for the decade. Okay. Um, I'll go next since Please. Julia is knocking her stuff over. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Charging um, my phone as usual. Go ahead. So, unlike both of you, I have this job where I review books for major American publications. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I have a really active outside of our um, outside of our show reading life. Um, I you know I I probably. Well, I've I've been doing it. I did it less. I do it less when I'm writing a new book than when I'm in between books. But like right now, um, you know, I review once a month for USA Today and a bunch of other places. So I read a lot, um, and I read also a lot of research stuff. So I have this active life outside of you people. Wow, um, <laughs> you people. Wow. Rude. But also, I try to read a lot just to keep up with what my students are doing. Mm-hmm. So a student will say, "Oh, I'm really inspired by this book." 
And so I'll read that book too, or I'll, you know, listen to the audio book. And that's the other, that's the trend that we should really talk about. Like, I listen to so many audiobooks now that it's like it's it, I'm just constantly listening to them. That audible membership is a is a good thing. Um so anyway, my picks I have I have sort of three big picks that um that I've actually mentioned on the show that were really influential to me as a reader but which I really just loved. Um the first is a book called Ghetto Side, which is a nonfiction book by Jill Levy. Yeah. That's an amazing book. Cool. And it's about um it's about a series of a bunch of different killings that happen in uh, what used to be called South Central Los Angeles, but focuses on one main um, sort of gang-related murder in uh, in South Central and the different ripples that it um, how this how this one crime ripples into a bunch of different lives. But it's a fascinating book about police work. It's a fascinating look at um, the LAPD about the root causes of black on black crime. Um, and it's also the most accurate portrayal of Los Angeles that I've ever read in a piece of nonfiction. And I said this the other day online somewhere, um, that if you, if you look to Raymond Chandler as your litmus test of what Los Angeles is, it's one of the dumbest things you could do. Like Raymond Chandler <laughs> wrote about Los Angeles 80 years ago. If you are comparing contemporary literature to Raymond Chandler it, I mean it's it's stupid LA is a completely different place than when Raymond Chandler wrote about it so yeah. do yourself a favor and read about contemporary LA Ghetto Side's a great example uh, Steph Chaw's new book Your House Must Pay um, is another great example uh, two other really interesting books that influence the way I've been writing a lot lately um, is Fourth of July Creek by Smith Henderson which I know I mentioned on the show when it came out and then The Last Policeman by Ben Winters um, the last policeman I was reading yeah. when I was trying to, when I was writing, um, Gangsterland, I think. Um, and I was really interested in a crime novel that, um, that twist convention and he really twist conventions and didn't give a fuck. And I loved that. Like he just didn't care. And I was really inspired by his work there. And then 4th of July Creek is a crime novel that also, oh, so good that, you know, it, it delves into, um, conspiracy theories in different sects, uh, sex with a C, not an X, um, in about small town America and big town America, um, you know, drug use and runaways, all these, like, it's a huge tableau that Smith Henderson took on. In and every Fourth character is so three-dimensional in that book. It's like every single one. Everybody is flawed to, like, the the, the real degree. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Like, they're, they're flawed and, like, hard to understand in exactly the right way that humans actually are. He's right. such a good writer. I, I, uh, that was, that was one I, I considered bringing in, but, um. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. just, and really he's, good. he's been doing TV, uh, subsequently and, and doing good TV. Um, but all three of those books, um, have inspired me as a writer and thrilled me as a reader. Um, and so they've, they've remained close to my um, desk as I write uh, for the last, you know, eight years, at least. I think these books all came out in the last five or six, seven years, somewhere in there. Um, so those are my, my big three off show books. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Julia? Oh, I have a lot, surprisingly. Um, because like writer, this is a huge part of my reading life. Um, but I also like writer have tried to really diversify my reading and a lot of my selections reflect that. So 
after we read um, Dawn by Octavia Butler, I got into all her stuff. Oh, God, I Kindred forgot about that. Yeah. Fantastic. I don't, I'm sure mm-hmm. we talked about it, but we didn't read it for the show. So that is on my list. This one, I always feel weird. We mentioned. talked about Kindred. Because remember, well, we, we, did, did the, we did the, the graphic, graphic novel. novel. The graphic novel. Yeah. yeah. But um, our friend Megan Mayhew Bergman's Birds of a Lesser Paradise is just such Great a good book. book. I think about that book all the so time. So good. You know, oh. I just started reading that book last week, actually. Oh, oh my great. God. For whatever reason, it's been sitting on my shelf forever, and I was going up to my parents for Thanksgiving, because uh, we do Thanksgiving at my pa- fa- family a week early. It's very complicated, but uh, <laughs> I was, I was, I uh, I started reading. I haven't finished it. I've only read, like, four of the stories, but she is so good. It's so amazing. So Housewifely good. Arts is one of the greatest short stories ever written. But I just love the animal stuff, too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the nature. Yeah, she's She's genius. She's a genius. Sorry, so on. no, it's okay. I have a lot. Um, we're gonna talk about it in an, a very soon episode, or maybe it'll be put out before this. But Cersei is like burning in my brain. Such good book. Mm-hmm. And then on the nonfiction zone, um, there's been some really incredible nonfiction book length works come out in the last few years. So H is for Hawk. If people haven't read that, that book's incredible. It's about grief and falconry. Uh, being mortal. Oh yeah, we should read it. We should read it. You'll love it. Um, being mortal by Atul Gawande about how we die, and he's a surgeon who writes for the New Yorker Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. It's a great book. Um, and then I mentioned this last year at the same episode, but educated by Tara Westover, um, about growing up, you know, completely isolated, and then suddenly going to college. Um, so all those books, you know, all of them are about new perspectives on things that we already take for granted and you know different kinds of voices and writers which is the most cliche thing you can say but it's been like really cool <laughs> to dig into them and then i wanted to throw in one random thing um because this is just a book this is kind of a cheat but it's a book i'm very glad i have in my house so um about four or five years ago um greg and i went to the arctic um and I ended up discovering this photographer um, named Paul Nicklin. He's very famous, um, but he he has an incredible Instagram, and he uh, has this book that came out this year called Born to Ice, um, and it's photography and short writing about Arctic animals and the polar regions, and it is the most wow. incredible. It is the greatest photos you will ever see, and when we're considering regions that are going to i mean they're gonna be gone in our lifetime gone, yeah. um <laughs> our lifetime probably by the next 10 year review uh it's it's unbelievable like he's one of the only people oh, wow. who's photographed pictures yeah who's photographed like pods of narwhals for example um so this is a humongous book um but it is it's like the best i i love it um so everyone should at least follow him on Instagram, but also if you want to shell out $70 for a coffee table book, it is totally worth it. It's like having a hundred pieces of art in your home and you can also feel sad about um, what's happening to the world, which is very cathartic. So I am a believer <laughs> in expensive uh, art books that you leave on a table, by the way. Are you? <laughs> yeah, we have a shitload of them in our house and it's nice because like you'll just be sitting somewhere and you'll open it up and you'll be able to look at some cool shit and then, you know drink your coffee and pay your taxes or whatever. I'm a big believer in spending too much money on books you don't read. Yeah, this is a great book. But this is a book that you experience. I have one all about skateboarding well. and I don't even fucking skateboard. You're ridiculous. 
<laughs> it's a great book. Oh, yeah. It's all about skateboarding in the 70s. I love it. <laughs> so we also haven't mentioned right. any. I just want to like throw out there. like We mentioned a little bit of poetry, but we also read a ton of graphic novels on the show mm-hmm. and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like Short I was stories. really like, I feel like the last 10 years has it certainly changed the way graphic novels um absolutely have been perceived but also like just the flood like basically now like it used to be like i remember in the 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 aughts if somebody like when i read a graphic novel it was batman uh you know it was like it was or the the watchman like it was still very superhero-y or action-y or or if you want crime-y yeah or mouse persepolis and fun home that was it. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was it. But now I feel like it's anything. Like You could buy, pick up a graphic novel. It can be about any subject. It could have mm-hmm. any approach. It can be any style. And that is so thrilling that it's like the whole field has like opened up. And you know that there were so many young writers and artists that just are coming of age in this time and are going to mm-hmm. be keep creating incredible work. Like I'm so like, like that whole part that of my reading life year? is just expanded. Yeah. That's that, Sabrina yeah. was like one of the most profound remarkable. pieces of art to, yeah. you know, affect me in years. And like, I'm still thinking about it. Um, yeah. And whatever. I try to explain it to people and it doesn't make any sense when I explain it to them. No, you just got to read it. You just got to read it. Yeah. And you know, I think too, that TV has altered graphic novels because so much sort of prestige television is coming from the graphic novel realm. Mm -hmm. Like I, I I never read the Watchmen um, or I, I didn't even see the, the movie, the Watchmen. And I never read the Watchmen. No. And I'm so fascinated by the TV show, the Watchmen and last week's episode, in fact, um, which for those of you listening would be episode six um, was maybe the best episode of TV I've seen all year. Wow. It was absolutely remarkable. Cool. Absolutely wow. remarkable. And you watch a lot of TV. Yeah, I watch that's a why fuck I'm trying. I can't television. believe how many shows you watch. Everything. Have you mentioned anything? It's like, you're like oh, yeah, I binged that until four in the morning last night. Well, <laughs> I, I stay up late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't sleep. <laughs> oh, no, I get a full eight hours. <laughs> the amount of, let's just pause, like the amount of narrative that Todd consumes is absolutely unbelievable it is it is yeah because he, he reads more than both of us yeah and then right and, watches and then every also show does all his students work on top i don't of watch all as many the... movies anymore though like we very rarely go to the movies anymore but I, maybe that's true for everyone we just wait till it's on netflix or but do you even choose to watch a movie often or are you mostly just clicking on shows uh no we watch a lot of movies or you know movies that are on demand um because you know the movies that are in the theaters are on demand like in two months yeah. and I have a TV that's the size of a wall. And so I'm like, well, I spent all that money on that television. I should just wait and watch it here in my living room. And then I can eat the food I want to. Yeah. Um, but I miss going to the movie theaters and we'll go like, we'll go periodically. But a lot of times it's like, Oh God, if, if I missed it, well, I'm just going to be in my house in a month anyway, or I'll get a screener or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, TV is so good right now, too, that it's like, like if your choice is, oh, I can go see a movie that might be shitty for two hours, or I can watch 19 hours of The Killing or whatever. Like, yeah, so should we transition to that, or do we want to throw in any other books that were maybe older that we read? Did we want to do that? We didn't settle. Um, yeah, I definitely want to throw yeah. because Kindred yeah. was, was up there for me. Yeah, like Kindred. That, that, I mean, Dawn blew my mind, too, but Kindred really just changed. Like, if that was an amazing book. I just, you know, I've never been, like, a big sci-fi fantasy 
I enjoy, I've, I've enjoyed sci-fi fantasy, but I've never thought that sci-fi and fantasy could be so uh, important and impactful. Mm-hmm. And like, and and she just is that for me. Like, she's just clearly a genius. Um, and then uh, the other one that I have to mention is Stoner. Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah. With John Williams, which we read. I read because Julia, you mentioned it on an episode once, and I went mm-hmm. and read it. And then I also read Butcher's Crossing by John Williams. Mm-hmm. And those two books, like, both got a lot of attention this decade because they were re-released. Um, and man, I think they're both perfect books, and I will be reading them over and over until the day I die. Like, I, I love them both. Um, and they're they're both older, um, but for me, like, they were a big part of my reading life for this decade. I'm those two books. so mm-hmm. proud of that because if you had asked me, if you had quizzed me, like, who recommended those books to who, I would have assumed you recommended them to me because they're so you. <laughs> uh. That's funny. That's funny. So I wrote um, down, I mean, like, man, I had... When I was working at the Mark Twain house, I went on these like three humongous sprints. So I read everything Judy Bloom wrote, everything Joan Didion wrote. And then I read like probably 15 Stephen King books. And all of mm-hmm. those were in like, you know, the span of a month, um, each of those sprints. So that was, I just like wanted to throw that out as like an incredible reading experience. And I mean, reading Joan Didion's Year of Magical Thinking was, and then immediately, like, I think that day I read Blue Nights um, about the death of her daughter. So good. Uh, There there is, by the way, a new um, Library of America collection of Joan Didion's work that uh, our friend David Eulin, well, at least my friend David Eulin, you know him too, Ryder, you've met David. I've met him, yeah. Yeah. David Eulin edited this new anthology of all of her collected works from 1967 to 1973, the Library of America just put out. And it is awesome. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I also wrote down, <laughs> this is just a book. This was such a popular book. Um, Room. I, I think about that book all the time. Oh, yeah. Did you guys read Room? Really? Did you see the movie? Yeah. I never read it. No, I just, I, I love I think the about movie. it too. Wow. It's one of the most disturbing uh, pieces disturbing. of writing ever, but just so committed to its premise it's so good i don't even want to tell you what it's about um but it's like no, you know, ear yeah oh right yeah. well yeah. okay the movie blew list. my mind because i didn't know what the movie was about and i hadn't heard of the book so when i saw the movie well imagine like, if what? you read it what? from the kid's point of view that's what room is yeah yeah totally. you you know why i think of room a lot what? I'm concerned that my dog is living in a room, <laughs> but with but without the profound sexual abuse, obviously. Yes, it's a dog. Of course, your dog is living and stuck in a house and can't yeah, get out. It's like their worldview is limited to. put my dog to... into room. Yes, that's what you do to dogs. Wait, this is making me think of. Uh, we also haven't mentioned any children's books, and I've never mentioned this on the show. But um, there's another book I want to throw up because it's similar. Um, it's a picture book called, I think it's called They All Saw a Cat. Um, and do you know this book, Ryder? No. Uh, um, Indy might be a little too old, but um, it's now we're into chapter books. really <laughs> so good. Um, it's it's very recent. Uh, yes, They All Saw a Cat by Brendan Wenzel. Every illustration is the cat looks, it's like the mouse saw a cat. The kid saw a cat, whatever. And the cat is uh, drawn in a different style um, based uh, on how cool. like the other That's animal so emotionally great. reacts to them. 
and it's like in some it's like super cute with big eyes and in some it's absolutely terrifying uh, one is like the flea saw cat so it's like all these different like physical and emotional perspectives it is such <laughs> a good that picture book a brilliant idea yeah it is so 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 good um so yeah just throwing that out there it's great um okay so what the, so this summer um, I had sort of a fascinating reading experience after we read Jane Austen together. We read uh, Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. right? No, we read Sense read and Sensibility. All- Sense and yeah, Sensibility. Sense. Come on! I read all of Jane Austen. <laughs> I read all of Jane Austen this summer because I hosted a film series of the adaptations of her books to film, um, and that was an extraordinarily pleasurable experience. Cool. Reading all of Jane Austen. Yeah. Um, earlier in the in the decade. Um, when I was starting to write crime fiction more ardently, I went back and I read all the classics. So from like 2009 to 2011, I read all the Dashiell Hammett. I read all of the Jim Thompson. I read all the Elmore Leonard. Um, and I had read a lot of this stuff before, but I read all of it um, again and really versed myself on on crime fiction and noir fiction. Um, so all of that, like reading all the old Elmore Leonard was extraordinarily instructive. Um and really entertaining. He was he was just the best. Um, but also reading Dashiell Hammett and um, and Raymond Chandler and and seeing like oh like they're they're revered because they were first, not because they were the best. The best, right? And I I think that as sort of a a person who teaches and also writes or writes and also teaches. Like well, who is the best? Is Elmore Leonard the best in your mind for crime? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think there is a best necessarily. I think that, you know, the crime fiction changes depending upon the era in which you're reading it. Uh, mm-hmm. And crime fiction is a mirror to society, so it's always going to be a little bit different. You know, like I think right now, like Daniel Woodrell or Dennis Lehane, Laura Lipman, um, you know, Michael Conley all the time, they, they've always done a really great job of of using crime, not just to, you know, show something criminal happening, but to say this is an element of society that is corrupt or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elmore Leonard, you know, he always writes about bad guys as the main character. And that's what appeals to me most. Like, that's my sweet spot. <laughs> right. And so I can always I can always go back to that. So reading sort of all this classic crime and the old pulps was a really fortifying experience. I should say also, though, that one uh like the 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 book that moved me the most in like in the last four or five years was a YA novel. And the, we didn't talk about it on the show. It's Robin Benway's book Far From the Tree, which won the National Book Award uh for YA fiction two years ago. I sobbed my fucking eyes out reading that book. Wow. <laughs> like just ugly cried reading that book. I'm looking it up right um, now. You should absolutely read Far From the Tree. And it's about it's about kids that were given up for adoption and they end up finding each other. Um, it's just extraordinarily moving, extraordinarily well-written. Robin is a, a fantastic writer. Um, and she's a friend of mine. And so the, like, it's hard sometimes to read your friend's books because you're like, oh, okay, like I can't separate out that this is a person that I know. And like I, I know that I can imagine them in their sweatpants typing. Um <laughs> But reading Far From the Tree, like she, like Robin disappeared from my mind and I was just in the book and it was uh, just extraordinarily moving experience. And then I, I, Wendy read it and sobbed her eyes out too. And she's like, I can't, Robin Benway is not welcome in our home. Because <laughs> um, it made Wendy feel and she doesn't like that. Uh, <laughs> um, 
But so, but you know, I, I read so much stuff. It's hard to remember stuff that was not in the era because I'm reading in and out of the era yeah. all the time. Uh, okay, let's go lightning round to close off our episode here. Yep. Uh, TV show writer favorite TV show last ten years. Um, this is a tough one. Uh, I, I had to divide it into uh, comedy and. Oh, I have three. Uh, Fleabag <laughs> and Atlanta tied together. I think Fleabag and what? Atlanta. I think oh, okay. uh, both are examples of genius actors who find themselves as writers and directors and their voice is so amazing. I, I think that there's like a revolution happening right now where like these sort of actor led works are changing comedy and, mm-hmm. and, and not only just what's funny and like, cause I think, you know, like Veep is a funnier show than either one of these, but, but that actually that these are comedies that are, are breaking boundaries and, and changing conventions and just genius. Both of them. Um, I, I would, I would say Atlanta is, it's a little bit more my favorite than Fleabag and then drama better call Saul. I think it's mm. so perfectly. I've never seen executed. a single episode. I think yeah. it's, it, you know, it's, it's basically the intelligence of it's the intelligence of, um, of, of, uh, breaking bad. Like as far as the, the, the way that the problem solving that the characters have to do to get out of the situations mm-hmm. that they're in. Um, but without the, like, yeah drugs and violence it's like much more just about being a lawyer you know and and the interrelationships and uh, personal relationships um between lawyers and brothers and it's just so good um so that's i think right. i think better call saul's tops for me wow all right julia russian doll that's what's my oh favorite. my god so because, good writer i had the similar like comedy drama emotions fun what do i pick and then i was like one show yeah. has all of them <laughs> oh, that was yeah. the only it way did. I could so good it. it really broke every rule to every you rule. know like it's a sci-fi show nah yeah it's a, this show you know you can't really put it into a box i'm, I'm so curious what they're gonna do second and then season. episode four everything changes yeah. yeah and i think for me like what really put it over the edge and this is where the trend i'm gonna start bringing the trends like it is so sincere and emotional you know that mm-hmm. doesn't have that like you know, kind of cop out or very cyn. It seems like a show that's going to be cynical that ends up being about like connection and love, and that to pull that off yeah. is really hard and so impressive. Um, but I love Fleabag too. I don't know. I, there was a lot. There was so much good TV, and I had a the baby. I was sitting on a couch watching all of like, it. Yeah, the second season of Fleabag is, I think, some of the best filmmaking. Ever being done, yeah. Her like once this the first scene of the second season. Like if if anybody listening has not made it through the first season, like stick with through the first season so you can get through that first episode of the second season because it's a masterpiece of mm-hmm. directing and editing because she directed it herself and she like edits to her rhythms as a comedian and it is genius. It's just like what like it's you know dinner ta- like what people don't realize is that dinner table scenes are the hardest things to shoot. Like that is. Like a group of people sitting around a table looking at each other, that is the worst day in everybody's life shooting a film. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, and you you just take it for granted because you just you don't realize it. But that's like you have to have coverage um, to be able to edit people looking at each other over each other's mm. shoulder, and you have to match eye lines. And if it's a funny scene, you have actors who have to do it 
maybe 40 times that day because they have to oh, do God. all their takes, but then they have to do everybody else's cover. So you have, you lose all your momentum, all your comedy chops. It's just a nightmare. And most dinner table scenes are shitty. They're just awful. And the entire second or second season or the first scene of the second season of Fleabag is an extended dinner table sequence at a, at a restaurant. And it is the best I've ever seen. And it, she is it's so, amazing. It's so good. Oh <laughs> and violent. God. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. And yeah, so anyway. Uh, okay. Movies? Movies? Oh, no. I, I got to do my show. Oh, you have it on your show. My TV show is The Americans. Yeah. It lasted almost the entire decade, which was great. Um, and it does... It changed as our culture changed. Hmm. And so by the last season, it's reflecting the Trump presidency back to us by virtue of looking at the 1980s and the fall of Russia. Ridiculous. Um, so hard it, to pull it was absolutely so hard to pull off in the the relationships between the characters everyone's pretending to be someone that they aren't even within their own marriage it does all the things that i love um the acting was phenomenal from beginning to end um the only downside of course is that they forgot that they had a son for three seasons <laughs> <laughs> And so there was always like, where's Henry? Oh, Henry's off studying. Henry's doing this. Because apparently Henry was just like, had stopped being a good actor for three years. I don't know what the story was. But they, they always have the... that problem on shows. Because they're yeah. Mad Men, they replaced the son. Too. It's like, yes. They, yes. they often write themselves into a corner where it's like, they're a spy who's also a mom. And then you're right. like, well, no one cares about the mom part. Can we just get rid of the kids? <laughs> just get, you know, the, so the best shows just sort of ignore it at a certain point because they, right. they they don't have to play to the realism as much as like just... Well, and because they had a the daughter that they're turning into a spy and then right. they're like, oh, we'll just send Henry to boarding school. That was <laughs> the best fun. thing that ever happened. That's but fun. then in the last season, it turns out to be pivotal that Henry's off at boarding school. You know, I and, never even made it through the first season of that show. Oh, I really God. liked it, but I just tapped out. It was, I think it was just, you know, one too many shows already on my plate. Yeah. So I hadn't... But now now you can watch them all streaming and there's no commercials, obviously. Yeah. Right. And um, and it's... I, I've rewatched it a couple times, in fact. So uh, The Americans and then for sort of comedy, I would go season one of Patriot. It was yeah. the most unusual filmmaking I'd seen in a TV show in, in forever. It's weird. Uh, it's funny. It's sad. There's an assassin. All the things that I love uh, the most. Okay. What a lightning right. round. Lightning <laughs> round. Know, we're still talking forever. <laughs> we're, we'll be short now. You can only pick one movie. Uh, Julia, one movie. No, this is horrible. I don't know. I choked. <laughs> I, I wrote down <laughs> five. Ten. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll I'll narrow it to, to three. To three. Um, okay. And they're they're random because it was very hard to remember every movie I saw. Um, but they are all totally different. Um, Arrival. Um, mm -hmm. th love that movie, and it's about storytelling and language, which I thought was appropriate for our books podcast. Um, good point. Get Out. Uh, it's going to be mm. on everybody's list, but I love Jordan Peele as a comedian before that. So then to see him transition to another genre I love was very exciting. And the third one, I just rewatched this and this is, um, obviously I'm biased because now I'm a mom, but inside out, um, the Pixar movie, I, oh yeah, God, like I pretty much cry every three minutes in that movie. Like it's. <laughs> I can't it's think about so good. the imaginary character sacrificing yeah. himself without like completely tearing yeah. up. Yeah. It's so I so did 
good. Yeah, this it's not a pure list because I just watched that one recently. But the more you watch it, the more brilliant it is, which, you know, that's something to pull off, something to pull off. So that was it. The other two I wrote down were Melancholia and Mad Max Fury Road because... I saw them on other lists, and I was like, "Oh yeah, they interesting. were interesting. Wow, interesting. Wow, Melancholia. I could, I never even finished that movie. I was so mm, Melancholia really was a movie. very odd movie. I don't like Lars Venture usually, so. but I do like to try to measure the moon whenever I can. All right, I'll go second. Yeah, here are my picks: Winter's Bone. Mm, I knew you were gonna pick that. <laughs> Maybe one of my all-time favorite movies forever. Um, Moonlight. Mm. Absolutely loved Moonlight. Great film and I want to go back and watch. I, yeah. It's so moving. Um and so challenging. And I you know, I there's not a conventional choice made with character um in that movie. And then the last one is a movie that I have watched surprisingly like ten times. I've seen Winter's Bone probably like twenty five times. Moonlight I've seen three or four times. The last movie I've seen a bunch, and that is Spotlight. I've watched Spotlight oh, yes. over so and over and over great again. Great movie. It's so great good. movie, and it's you know it it's it's also so important for today to understand the power of journalism and the power of what great journalism is capable of doing. Uh, and, my and how Keaton like sort great. of basic it looks too. You know yes. what I mean? Like I love that all the most intense scene is just like two guys in a bar being like, "Is yep. this the scene? Is this where you do the thing that's going to corrupt mm-hmm. the entire fucking world?" And it's like, right. yes, that's the way it actually happens. It's you know. Yeah, and it's uh, that movie is was like way ahead of its time. We mm-hmm. had no idea because it came out in 2016, right, or 15, well, 15 maybe. Yeah, I don't and... know, but it, whatever. Like they, like the 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 championing journalists, which mm-hmm. I feel like has become something so important for American culture to do in the last three or four years. And, I, and you know that 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 movie was right on on the right at the forefront of that. Yeah. Loved it. All right, what are your picks, writer? Uh, I'm just going to say one I've already talked about on the show Margaret um which if you haven't seen please 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 go see it. It's kind of a cheat because it really should have come out in 2008 or 9, but it was delayed, so but technically it didn't get released until 2011. I didn't see it till like 2013. Um and man, just just go see it. It's uh, yeah, I've already talked about it on the show, so I don't want to repeat myself. But for me, like it's a movie I I keep wanting to go back and think about and watch again and again. Um, All right, it's brilliant. Favorite song? Song? I didn't know we were doing song. song. You, you said an <laughs> extra your wild thing. Card? Relax. <laughs> yeah. What's your extra thing? Um, was I supposed I was supposed to come up with my own extra thing? Your okay, wild card. You go first. We'll Todd. go to Julia. Yeah, just okay, go to Julia. I'll go first. Okay, mine is. I'm proud of mine. All right, so. All right. It requires a slight explanation. So Fun Home, the graphic novel, we've talked about Mm -hmm. it. It's brilliant. Work of genius. Um, So there is a scene in Fun Home that is like about this teen's inner life. And she's coming out to her dad and she's like waiting to tell him that she's gay. And... um, it's it's really well drawn and it's a completely like interior look at uh how you like tell your stories how you communicate your stories and how you like grapple with remembering your past that's what fun home is really about so they made a musical of fun home and i was like i gotta see this because that sounds impossible um everything that's great about fun home is um it's all about like reflecting on literally how you tell your story so a very heady Mm -hmm. book and it's hand-drawn 
So there's a song. My pick is there's a song in the musical called Telephone Wire where I saw the musical twice. It is unbelievable. Um, and there's a song that is the the older character is like singing it to the father and her past self in the they're like sitting in the car and she's deciding when to tell, like talk to him about being gay. And then within the song, like the, the narrator switches and like sits down in the car and like has this huge reflective process about like how you remember your past and like going over the memory. Can you change it and everything? And it's like the most brilliant songwriting because it represents like the interior world of being a writer in a way like I've never experience before it is so good Everyone clearly go listen to the song. we need to do a, another story songs episode story <laughs> songs three musicals <laughs> yeah that doesn't count you guys will yeah musicals are god story songs you guys yes, will hear like sad story songs three folk. has to happen <laughs> <laughs> okay. all right what's your pick Dad? my favorite song from the last decade is in fact a jason isbell song yeah, it is yeah, cover yeah. me up <laughs> By that's Jason my favorite Isbell. too. That's my it's it's his masterpiece. That, it's that a masterpiece. Song is perfect. That's not my favorite of the decade, but that is the song of his that I listen to the most. And it's just I, every time I hear it, I cry. Yes. Oh, it's it, so good. It's so I, good. I, I've seen Jason Isbell in this decade like 15 times in concert, and all I do is cry whenever he sings Cover Me Up. It's a it's a beautiful love song, but it's also such a personal examination of himself about getting sober and like, oh, it's just it's it's perfect. I, I listen to it just about every single day. As my poor wife can attest, she's like, Are, is it Jason Isabel time again? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, so that's my favorite song of the decade, Cover Me Up by Jason Isabel. What's your wild card topic, Ryder Strong? I didn't have one. I didn't come up with one. I'm sorry. What's your um, favorite song? Well, my favorite song is 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 probably uh, Young Fathers by Typhoon. Oh, it's um, a great song. Because it's just... A perfect song, and you know I'm totally biased now because since I, you know, I've become friends with the so- songwriter and, and singer Kyle, um, who I just I adore as a friend, but I also just think he's a genius songwriter. And that song is like why we're friends because mm-hmm. I became obsessed with the album White Lighter and talked about it on this show, yeah. and uh, they ended up playing my wedding, and just mm-hmm. you know it's still like one of the most beautiful moments of my life. And but I still like I've I've gone back, you know I you know you go through albums and songs. And then you go back and like, sometimes it just doesn't feel the same, but like that song or that album in total, but certainly that song is still saying so much to me, even though it's been seven years since I first heard Mm -hmm. it, eight years since I first heard it, it still feels fresh every time the lyrics are just like, they just go right, right to my heart. So that um, song and Summer Home are my two favorite. Summer Home's amazing. I mean, I mean, Typhoon is uh, incredible, Um, you know, and then, uh, yeah, album-wise, I would say White Lighter is pretty high up there. Um, uh, although I really do love uh, Bonnie Bear, Bonnie Bear, which is their second album. Um, okay, that's um, a masterpiece. Right. Favorite uh, favorite oh shirt. You gotta focus. Favorite shirt Ryder. for all of us or Ryder. Favorite shirt. Yeah, favorite shirt for Ryder Strong. Favorite shirt. God. I have a shirt that's that's a V-neck T-shirt that I've worn all decade. I'm sure there are photos of me wearing this on the internet, and it says "Seas and Sons." So, mm-hmm. it, like, it's like an ad for something that doesn't really exist because it just kind of spells the word "seasons." But right. like, for whatever reason, it's just my favorite shirt, and right. now it has a hole in it. So I'm like, oh, Julia, favorite shirt. Um, I have a T-shirt that I saw a nine-year-old boy I know 
wearing and it was so funny. I was like, where'd you get that? And then I bought it and it's a pile of cats on an ice cream cone. But from far away, they look like vanilla soft serve. That's my favorite show. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And I like um, Googled that description and found the shirt. I can't wait. I'm going to get one. We're all going to have one. Uh, my favorite shirt is um, my Oaklandish shirt, which is of Raleigh Fingers Day of the Dead. That doesn't mean anything to either of you, but it's my favorite shirt. Um, favorite snack, Julia. Oh, um, God, why am I choking? I like all snacks. Uh, peanut butter cliff bars. Okay. Really Ryder, favorite snack? Whiskey. Whiskey. Oh. Uh, chocolate covered almonds. Okay. Um, you know what? In the last 10 years, I stopped eating red meat. Um, so I stopped being a vegetarian. I started weird. eating red meat. <laughs> um, favorite go to meal that you fix just for yourself, no one else? Ryder. Favorite go to meal that I fix just for myself? Yeah. God, I'm so bad. I, I like, I'm like, I literally go eight hours and then go, what's this pain in my stomach? Oh, I need to eat. <laughs> It's like, I don't fix food for myself. I like grab handfuls of things or go out right. to a restaurant or luckily my wife is an amazing cook and takes care of me. So I, I don't know, man. Okay. Right. No answer. I, I was going to say your bread. Julia, favorite go-to. Take out Indian food, alu gobi. Take out. Um, mine is um, Trader Joe's apple cinnamon oatmeal. Always there. Always wow. available. Interesting. Um, okay, hold on. Let's see here. Um, favorite shoe, Ryder? Uh, Sneaky Steve boots. Jesus. <laughs> Best boot company in the world. I am. I literally at this point only buy boots from one company. So I, 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 if they want me to be their brand guy, I'll do whatever, guys. Just I have like four pairs of boots from this, and I, and I just get them resold, and like I am happy. So Sneaky Steve, okay. yeah, Swedish wow. company. Uh, I uh, I have two. I have this Cole Haan slip-on brown or black shoe that I've had a version of every year for the last 10 years. And then, of course, black Chuck Taylors with orthotics. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, favorite shoe? I mean, of the decade, I was wearing yeah. black high tops for most of the decade. I got to get back on that, though. I need a new pair. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Is this I have fun? to tell you guys my favorite my favorite invention of the decade. And you guys can have your favorite invention too. Oh, my Jesus. favorite invention of the decade are these glasses I got that have changed me, that give me the ability to see color. Yeah. I got those yeah, in, in the a, last 10 years. A, that's and a pretty good one. Yeah. It's a pretty fucking good one. So in that. the last 10 years, in chroma glasses, which give me color, I have I have been brought to tears by the color purple so many times in the last four years. I had never seen that color in my life. Until four years ago. Wow. Favorite invention. I got, Ten years. Uh, the only, literally the only thing that is even entering my mind is that some beer companies have like, you know, the, the plastic rings have been replaced by food that fish can eat. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't bought it, but I know it exists. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, Ryder. Favorite uh, invention. I, I'm just going to say, because I want to promote this as much as possible, uh, Duck, Duck, Go. Which is a search engine that you should all switch to. Um, it is just as good as Google, and they never, never use your information or save it. 
So nice. you, I think we should all be switching away from giving tech companies all of our stuff. Um, yes. So that I would say everybody should right now while they're listening, go switch to DuckDuckGo. It's really easy to do. And um, yeah, I, we should all, all be right, supporting. That's all I got. All right. That's all I cool. got. That closes out the decade. Perfect. You guys are great. <laughs> well, it's been an awesome decade uh, it has. talking with you too. It's been an awesome decade talking to all of you people out there listening mm-hmm. to us. We appreciate you all. We're going to keep doing it in 2020. Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.